1: Good afternoon and welcome. It's another day of cancelled VIA train trips through the key Montreal-Toronto corridor. In fact, all trips are being cancelled by VIA, at least through tomorrow, because of an ongoing protest and rail blockade near Belleville, where members of the Tyendinaga Mohawk Territory have parked a large dump truck with a plough along the tracks. Demonstrators, as you heard in Bob's Bob's news, are protesting in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en First Nations and their supporters in northern BC who are opposed to the coastal gas link pipeline. In addition, CN Rail has halted more than 150 freight trains over the past six days, and it's costing the economy tens of millions of dollars. And in addition to passenger trips, it's affecting shipments of food, construction materials, lumber, aluminum coal and propane. Now, a court injunction has declared the protest to be illegal and for- forbids any continued interference with the rail line under threat of arrest. Tyendinaga Police Chief Jason Brandt wants protesters to comply. Take a listen to him, followed by a protester.
2: In this particular case, with the situation happening here beneath our feet, the point has been made tenfold. Today is the day to go home and leave the area in peace and return to your physical houses, and I implore you to communicate that intention to the OPP. That is the people's decision.
0: It's nice to see that uh, Canadians are waking up,
3: and uh, they realize that this is about all of our future. You know, we've all got to breathe, we've all got to have fresh water, and um, and, and we have to have a, a, a healthy, How's uh, the relationship with each other? Of uh, the indigenous
0: populations across this lands, and, uh, and uh, So I think it's positive.
1: Well, yesterday, Federal Transport Minister Mark Garneau called on the provinces to enforce the injunction, injunction saying it's their jurisdiction. Is that? passing the buck I'd like to know what you think the numbers to call 416-360-0740 toll free one 866 740 and now let's go to anthony fury a columnist with the toronto sun hi anthony thanks so much for being with us
4: hey libby always great to chat with you
1: okay so first of all what do you make of this
4: Well, you know, it's very interesting, those clips you were playing and and how you sort of teed it all up there. You see that there are people... Who are on the Mohawk territory? The elected representatives, the chief, who are saying this ain't us, this ain't our scene. They don't support it. It's kind of you know you're left scratching your head, going, okay, there's a project in BC that that entire community, the Wet'suwet'en First Nation, their band council supports it. They did an opinion poll of their members, and something like 75% of them supported them. But then you've got four or five hereditary chiefs, which is kind of like the Senate if you could pass it down to your kids rather than mandatory retirement at the age of 75. They're just the only ones who are against it, and I see these videos online of people blockading the BC legislature, and, I, and I'm looking, and Libby, I'm trying really hard to be generous here. We're told these are First Nations elders or something. All I see are, are young blonde women around, I don't know, the age of twenty or something. I guess there's one or two First Nations people in the mix, and for some reason, that scenario means that VIA Rail uh, passenger rail and freight cannot go from Toronto to Ottawa, and that police will not enforce the law. What a tangled web it boggles.
1: Yeah, okay. So that's what I want to get into. Why are police so reluctant to enforce the law? And people are afraid of touching this. It's really quite something.
4: They absolutely are. And you're right, the transport minister passing the buck, the Fed saying, oh, it's not our problem. And provincially, uh, yes, the Solicitor General does sort of manage the Ontario Provincial Police. Well, we at Post Media got in touch with uh, the Sylvia Jones's office yesterday and said, what are you going to do about this? And they just said, we do not direct police operations. And we're like, okay, yeah, I know you don't call individually and say, get that guy, lock him up, go after Fury or whatever. And I'm glad we don't live in one of those countries where politicians do direct the police, but you do oversee them. And if they're failing to do their job, you say, well, maybe there'll be an inquiry or, you know, you can call the OPP. The premier is allowed to call the OPP commissioner and say, hey, by the way, what's going on here? Seems like you guys aren't enforcing the law. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's not happening. So really, I think the Solicitor General and Doug Ford uh, need to step up here and deal with this. I do worry, and a lot of people who watch Caledonia and Oka Crisis and, and more say, Actually, the further you go ahead and allow this to happen, the worse it kind of gets. You want to deal with it decisively as soon as possible. Sadly, the boat has been missed on
1: that. Now, isn't an issue that provincial governments have got into trouble by enforcing uh, injunctions and and other things on Indigenous protests?
4: They have. I think those previous ones have been... a little bit more gray area for a number of reasons. They didn't have the majority of First Nations opposed to them, which is the case here. I and mean, in the Financial Post, we ran a story about um, one First Nations group, a Métis nation, which is threatening to sue the federal government if these projects do not get approved. You know, it shows how, how in the past decade, I think the First Nations story has become a very positive and powerful one. They're, they're very interested in economic development and, and really just taking the piece of the pie that is rightfully theirs. I, I think it's impressive stuff. And, you know, we should all be pro First Nations for those reasons. I think in this case, these guys are outliers. They don't have the support really of their own community. And that specific rail line, it's not their land. I, I don't know what they have on their side.
1: Well, it's really something. I mean, they can shut down a huge part of our economy.
4: And it's so troublesome that on Friday, a court injunction was served to them. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a legal expert. I'm not a court reporter. So in my sort of common understanding of things, I go, oh, okay, you got a court injunction. That means you got to go away, right? Apparently not. The sheriff serves it both to the protesters and to the OPP. And the OPP shrug And then they say, what is the statement? They say, we are monitoring the situation and maintaining a dialogue with participants. What? I mean, that is just surreal. And then they reserve them with an injunction yesterday. What is the point? And, you know, in my column in the papers today, I say there is a judge that gave a warning back in 2013 of the exact same thing happened, and he was asked to issue a second and third warning. And this is Ontario Superior Court Justice David Brown, and he said, uh, why, he said, the kind of passivity by the police leads me to doubt that a future exists in this province for the use of court injunctions in cases of public demonstrations. Basically, he said, what's the point? We're living in a lawless now he predicted this. Wow!
1: Uh, so, where do you see this going? It is—is is it a matter of, of how much pain it inflicts on on how many people? I mean, it, you know, um, we've heard from students who can't get back to university, right? Uh, and the economy—you uh, know, what happens when we start having shortages of all these things that are now being blocked from being shipped on sea rail?
4: yeah well, we start to see it and feel it once the sort of stock on the shelves for those particular products that that travel in this line diminish and and we're going to feel it if they don't act sooner and i think it's I think it's very naive of them to to uh, not act sooner, because the the very sort of diehard extremist activists, which there's not that many out there, and they don't, as we established, they don't speak for First Nations, but we're giving them time to trek from across the province and elsewhere to join up and ally and get their resources going and really, uh, really well stock their blockade. I think that's unfortunate. We're, we're going to have to dismantle this. And probably looks like we're going to have to do it by force because their requests are not, this is not like a hostage-taking situation. They're saying, promise you're going to reject these projects. And we're not going to reject these projects because nobody other than them wants to see them rejected. So they're going to have to be removed. I I doubt they're going to, I mean, you can wait them out, but you're probably talking like weeks or months. Uh, And yet the OPP, because there have been cases where a few protesters were killed and it shouldn't have happened and it's a tragedy, they want to avoid those. But I think it's awful that they think not doing their job is the way to avoid that.
1: Well, it's also, we'll see, because it's apparently getting very cold tonight. Uh, let's take a call from Ron in Guelph. Hi, Ron.
2: Oh, Libby, thanks for taking my call. And uh, two thumbs up to Anthony Fury. He uh, took the wind out of part of my sails there by his statement. Um, the other thing that's not being mentioned is that uh, he alluded to it, that the um, Trudeau is doing something right. The government owns that pipeline now. They bought it from Kinder Morgan. The people that are going to be owning that pipeline now are all indigenous tribes from B.C., Alberta, B.C. It's not being sold to white businessmen, it's being sold back to the indigenous community, and that's why these tribes out there, the elected elders in the tribes, are all in favor of the pipeline, because it's going to benefit them in the long run. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is, a friend of mine, he has a medium-sized business in Michigan, and he calls me and he says, what the heck is going on up in Canada? He says, he says they're blockading the rail lines and everything else. He says um, he says you guys are in trouble now because who in their right mind is going to invest in Canada when their goods can't be shipped, or maybe they won't even get approval? It's the same thing that's happening with that uh, the tech frontier mine out in Alberta.
1: Okay, Ron. Uh, I'm going to put it? that. I'm going to put that to Anthony. Thanks so much for your call. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Okay, and let me give the numbers out again. What do you think? Should the cops just go in and enforce that? What do you make of the fact that there have now been two injunctions that the police have ignored and have been monitoring the situation? 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 I'm talking to Toronto Sun columnist Anthony Fury. And Anthony, does do you think this jeopardizes any of our trade with the United States, our largest trading partner?
4: I think it's a very good point. I think it does. In fact, Canada is doing a lot of odd, precarious things right now that put us sort of at disadvantage to, to the real competitive direction that the U.S. is heading in right now. And it, it does alarm me. The, the the head of Magna International, uh, Don Walker, last year, he he made a statement saying he's really worried about the fact that the message has been sent to the world that Canada is just not a serious country. Now, obviously, the concerns about these pipelines and these protests are related to, to climate change alarm and so forth. And, look, you want to care about that issue? Okay, go ahead. I mean, there's points to be made in all of that, but no other country in the world, and I I hear this from people who study this in great detail, are doing the things Canada is doing to basically take the wind out of their own sails to harm their own economy. Northern European countries who are here doing all these green eco-friendly things and so forth, yes, they are, and they're investing in that, but they're not in turn stabbing their own economies and resource sectors in the back. So we're, we're sending a lot of signs that we're we're kind of a mess of a country. We're a basket case. And of course, business wants stability. We ain't stable.
1: What about, is, is this a, a case of political correctness? Because honestly, I can't quite figure out why governments, including our own conservative government, w- right. would be so hesitant.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's really twisted political correctness because I think, as, as we've discussed, as the caller put it really well, it's not like the majority of First Nations even support this. And, and you look at these protests, and I'm, you know, I'm really trying to be generous here, but some of them, that poor fellow trying to cross the bridge to get to work or whatever, and all these activists saying, no, you can't cross the bridge. I mean, they were all, uh, I saw only Caucasian women, maybe, you know, a couple guys at the back. I didn't see a single First Nations person there. So I think these are people like AstroTurf protesters who are quite frankly abusing the good name of uh, many of the great entrepreneurial First Nations people in this country saying they speak for them when they don't.
1: Uh, Interesting. I mean, again, you were saying that you think that if nothing is done, this could go on for months, really? I, I
4: don't think it will because I think the politicians know that that they can't. But at a certain point, they have to act. And it, it, you made a good point about how it's going to be really cold tonight. So maybe you're going to find some of the people leave, and then only the diehards remain. And also, the media will not be there at that time, so they won't get those those unfortunate images of people being hauled away, kicking screaming, and, and a scene of violence. So maybe at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. tonight, we're we're going to see uh, the diehards there, and, and there'll be some unfortunate fisticuffs. And I wish that didn't happen. I wish these people are not going to get hurt. But I mean they've put themselves in this position.
1: Okay. Anything else you'd like to leave us with, Anthony?
4: Just let's be pro-First Nations because they're pro-development. You know, Canadian Aboriginal Business Council sends out their reports. And every year I go, wow, this is this is a community with a growing birth rate. It's a young population. And I think we got to get behind all the great First Nations people in this country.
1: Okay. Anthony Fury, thank you so much for being with us.
4: Thanks so much. It was a pleasure.
1: Okay. And we are going to try to sort out the legalities of this. In a moment. Uh, first, let's take a call from Mike in Mississauga. Hi, Mike. Hi, how are you? Fine. How are you? Okay. I I believe these people
4: should be removed. And um, our leader, Mr. Uh, Wishy-Washy, uh, Mr. Trudeau, how come he doesn't uh, get things moving?
1: Uh, We're going to talk about what he's up to in the next segment of the show. He's in Africa looking for a U.N. security council seat. He's busy. Um, So you're saying that the cops should just go in and remove the protesters?
4: Yes, yes. And and by the way, I'm for the pipelines because remember the train derailments we had? One here in Mississauga many years ago and the one in Quebec. It's very dangerous to carry, you know, fuel by rail. So... I believe the pipeline should be built and a lot of natives are for it.
1: Okay. Mike right. in Mississauga, thanks for your call. Thank
2: you. Thank you.
1: Okay, just before we get to our next guest, let me give the numbers out again. 416 360 toll-free 866 740 We're talking about the First Nations' protest, uh, the protest in sympathy with those who are against the pipeline in British Columbia. It has now blockaded all via trains in the key Montreal to Toronto uh, corridor. That includes Kingston. It includes Ottawa. It also includes a large percentage of CN rail. So uh, what do you think? There have been two injunctions now. Should the protesters be removed, even if it is by force, or should uh, the police continue to, quote, monitor the situation? Right now, I'd like to bring in Krista, Big Canoe, and she is the Legal Director of Aboriginal Legal Services. Hi, Krista. Thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Libby. Could you please clarify for us, there's there's this tension and this dichotomy between the elected band officials and their decisions and the hereditary chiefs. Can you just clarify what those uh, two uh, groups, uh, what kind of authority they have? Certainly, um, and I think a lot
3: of the discourse is not understanding the difference or distinguishment between the two. An elected band chief is elected pursuant to the Indian Act. So in 2020, this country still has a race-based act called the Indian Act that only uh, impacts First Nation people. And then there's hereditary chiefs. And even that word's a little misleading, because it's not like a hierarchy. Hereditary chiefs have a lot of community accountability. And so a good way uh, to kind of think of it is the elected band chiefs and councils are responsible for their communities, so reserves in Canada. And the hereditary chiefs, at least in relation to the territories we're talking about in B.C., um, have to have a larger responsibility to larger parcels of land, not that that's the reserve, but all of the traditional territories. And so I think for people to understand if someone goes into an agreement, so for example, if you want to have an agreement in Toronto, you don't go and talk to London, right? Unless there's something that might impact uh, the people of London's rights as well, you'd actually make the agreement with the City Council of Toronto, not London. So that's one example I like to use.
1: Okay. uh, So, but in this case, the elected chiefs are in favour of this going ahead, and the hereditary chiefs are not. and They're saying, hey, we're stewards of the land. Is is that, um, that, I I don't even know how to uh, phrase the question, is is that legal? Is that, uh, how do you view that? Right. Well, you know,
3: we're not going to resolve this in the few minutes we have, but some very high-level information that might help some of your listeners understand a bit more is, you know, in Canada, we think of the rule of law simply as things that are, like, codified within the criminal code or in other acts, but really the Supreme Court has already recognized the people that we're talking about in B.C. have already had their, their land rights acknowledged. And there's also been acknowledgments at the Supreme Court of Canada that they don't have treaties in B.C. in that part of B.C., unlike in somewhere like Ontario, they don't have the same type of treaties in place. It's unceded territory. So when you look at, like, international law and things like the United Nations or UNDRIP, you see that there's actual rights that exist. So there are rights holders and there is various levels of law that are at play in any of these given circumstances.
1: Okay, uh, but that's the situation in BC. But uh, here, the situation in terms of this protest, there are injunctions calling for an end to the protests. Uh, they're, they're not on uh, Indigenous land, as far as I understand, and uh, nothing is happening. Right, and so there's a couple of
3: things to also think of. So, for example, the railway, and that is normally under the federal Um, division of powers, So it's usually federal. But interestingly, we see federal ministers saying, oh, it's up to the provinces to issue injunctions. So there's actually a conflict of law even happening at who's going to determine what. So policing is something that falls under the provincial laws and the railway or the federal transport is something that falls. So technically, the property that railways are on is federal land. Right. And so um, this creates of some uncertainty in terms of whose jurisdiction or territory. So, when there's like a more general um, type of injunction that says you can remove the people, um, that's usually based in the jurisdiction. So, in this case, it's provincial jurisdiction you're seeing that has released um, the injunctions. But the protesters and the land protectors, they're actually on federal land.
1: Okay. In your view, is what they're doing legal or illegal? In, in terms of the protest, in, in terms of the of? protest and, and the blockade of Via Rail,
3: right. So I think that again, that's not a straightforward answer. It's done on a case by case. Situation. Well, this case, but in this particular case, there's arguments for both sides, right? So um, would it be seen unlawful in accordance with Canadian legislation? Yes. That would likely be true. Would it be uh, lawful in relation to the international standards and requirements that meet the human rights? Maybe not. So it's not as clean cut. And I think that is frustrating for people because they want to be able to just point to one rule and say this applies. And unfortunately, that's not the
1: reality. And do you agree with... uh Anthony Fury, we just had him on before with his take on it, that that this was a matter of hereditary chiefs and that in his view, most of the protesters out there are are not even First Nations people.
3: Yeah. And I I can't actually, I did hear um, Mr. Fury say that. I I can't necessarily agree with that. And where you see sort of an uptake, I think it's hard to know. So for example, if you looked at me, I look very Caucasian. I may well be one of the Caucasian women he's seeing when he characterizes who he's seeing. So I don't think that's a fair assessment. I don't think he has statistics or numbers that back it. There are two groups, obviously, or more that take different positions on this. And so one of the points, though, is respecting uh, the First Nation rights of individuals will vary for people and on issues. So once you impact economy, people get quite upset. They're put off. Um, But one of the things that we do know, like more broadly and generally, is sort of the interactions that are happening now. And I I like to specify it to the reason people are rising up is what what you saw happening um, at the actual camps. So like at the youth stolen camp, where there was just, there was elders and women. And we put in, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars of police resources to remove them when they're standing at a healing lodge So what's happening is people are reacting to symbols, um, things that they recognize, sort of this colonial legacy. So I don't agree with Mr. Fury. I don't think we can determine who's on which side. I don't think there's been any good work done on it, quite frankly.
1: Okay, hang on a sec. Let's take a call from Earl in Oakville. Hi, Earl. Thanks for
4: taking my call, Libby. I think the pipeline's going to benefit everybody, the government, the Indigenous people, and what they're doing is illegal, and I think the police should go in there and remove them.
1: OK, thanks for that, Earl. That's Take pretty care. clear. OK. Uh, Krista, we have to wrap things up. Uh, how do you think this impasse will end? I think there will be continued. And a lot of what
3: we're seeing, so the, rail, the railroad example is an extreme example. But if you look at all of the movement and action that's happening across the country, it's by and large peaceful. Uh, they're having sit-ins, they're doing round dances. And I think, though, the indigenous people in this country are feeling a lot like the Canadian law that's being imposed on them isn't fair and that they have rights that they need to stand up for. So I think you're going to see continued
1: um, protests, speak out, and it, but it's done mostly in a peaceful way. OK, well, let's hope so. Krista Big Canoe, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.